0: I'm Steve Shapiro, and this is Experience Matters. Welcome to Experience Matters, the podcast that explores the life-changing childhood experiences that go on to shape our adult identities. Sometimes we experience breakthrough learning in schools, but often our most profound learning happens outside the classroom, sometimes outside the school environment altogether. We'll explore those powerful learning experiences here, and think about the implications for how we can reshape American schools. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. Julie Kim is the founder of Julie Kim Consulting. She spends her days helping her clients, young people from across the country and across the globe, get into America's most selective colleges. At the heart of her proven system is something she calls the Passion Project. Now, if you're a regular listener, you might wonder, Why Experience Matters is highlighting a college consultant focused on admissions to the country's most selective colleges. Well, I'm featuring Julie because her inside look at the college admissions game reaches a surprising conclusion, that experiential learning may hold the key to selective college admissions. Oftentimes, young people are so busy taking a full plate of advanced classes and padding their resumes with extracurricular activities that they don't have time for things like doing internships or research projects with college professors, initiating service projects, starting small businesses, or taking on major creative projects like writing a book or making a film. But Julie will tell you that these are the very things that catch selective college admissions officers' eyes. And interestingly, they are usually the aspect of a young person's education about which they feel the most excited. It's a classic win-win. But before we get to the interview, I think it's important that I put two personal disclaimers on the table. First, I don't think that attending highly selective colleges, or what a fellow educator calls highly rejective colleges, is particularly important. I find the idea of ranking colleges highly problematic in that it creates a false sense of hierarchy that it's more closely associated with status than with learning experience. Second, I think that the intense focus on highly selective college admissions leads many teens to do things that are damaging to their mental health and their overall well-being. To see what that looks like up close, check out my interview with Emmy Huffner called A Letter to My Younger Self. It's linked in the notes to this episode. Students overwork themselves as if they are planning to go to an Ivy League college, but almost none of them really end up going. I encourage students and parents to take an honest look at this reality and consider the trade-offs they're making. So the question I'll put to parents and students as you listen to this episode is, what are you prepared to let go of in order to make room for your passion project? And to the educators I ask, how can we reimagine schools to better support students in this process? And now, here's my conversation with Julie Kim. Julie Kim, welcome to Experience Matters.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Steve.
0: I'm really excited to talk with you because I think that college admissions is one of the most daunting decisions. I feel like a lot of students and parents are suffering under a lot of stress.
1: Yes, there's a lot of stress, overwhelm, confusion.
0: So much has changed in the landscape of college admissions. A lot of parents are probably approaching this thinking about what it was like when they were applying 20 or 30 years ago. But things have changed even in the last several years. Tell me a little bit about what you see as some of the greatest changes in the college admissions landscape in recent times.
1: To start off with, with the access to common application, it's become so easy for students to apply to 20, 30, 40 schools. And so what that is doing is there's more applicants, which means more competition. And so that's why when we get on New York Times, we see articles like this has been the worst year ever because there's so much competition. Also, students have access to college consultants, counselors, resources on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. So there are a lot of students putting in more effort in order to stand out and get accepted into their dream colleges. And then with COVID-19 came SAT and ACT becoming optional and so Harvard and Brown University recently announced that they will extend the test optional until 2026 and so now students and parents are like wait do I take the test do I not take the test and there is a lot of confusion there and another thing and this is the last change that I'm really seeing here is you know when I was growing up there was no social media so now teenagers have access to Instagram and TikTok where Getting into these Ivy League colleges is seen as so much success. And especially if you're adolescent or a teenager, you don't see the big picture yet. So you think, "Okay, I must get into Harvard or USC or Yale. Otherwise, my life is over. And that's how the society is publicizing what success is for these students. And so we see a lot of things happening with students mindset. And so a lot of students need therapy, coaching, and some of them are even lost. And so that's why I put so much emphasis on mental health and mindset in this process.
0: I would think that as SATs become less important, other things are becoming more important to colleges. What do you think colleges are looking at more now that they're looking at SATs less?
1: They're definitely going to look at your transcript. What classes are you taking? Are you challenging yourself in these classes? Another thing that they're gonna look at is the recommendation letter. And this is something that a lot of students don't even think about until they're about to apply and open their application. So I firmly believe that the final call to a mission officer saying, okay, let's go ahead and accept the student will come from one of the recommendation letters because that recommender is actually adding the credibility aspect to your application you know i've seen this student he's doing x y and z you know he has a lot of grit he's very passionate you know things like that and so recommendation letters is going to be even more important and then the third aspect is they really want to get to know your academic interests and how you will be pursuing your major at the college because ultimately we go to college to study, and of course, we're going to party, we're going to have fun, all that kind of stuff, but what is it that you want to study, and what have you done to learn more about that topic, and how will you continue that at our institution so that fit is going to be really important? And we also you know, use the term intellectual curiosity, so that value is going to be a huge factor in impressing the colleges and ultimately getting accepted.
0: What do you think is one of the great misconceptions that students and parents have about what they need to do to make themselves look good for a college?
1: Students and parents think that they need to be a well-rounded applicant to get accepted. So I have to be the class president. I have to get straight A's. I have to volunteer. I have to go to summer programs. I have to go to, I don't know, Peru to do some service. You know, they feel like it's a shopping list, you know, when we go to Target or Trader Joe's it's not a shopping list. That's not how we convey ourselves. And so that's the biggest misconception. And to reframe that misconception, what is it that colleges are really looking for is who you are. There's going to be an introvert. There's going to be an extrovert. There's going to be a good writer. There's going to be someone who loves policy. There's going to be someone who loves research. So who are you? Figure that out first and provide evidence for it.
0: Yeah. And I see this all the time. I see so many students who are just doing more and more and more. And and I think this point about mental health can't be overstated. So many kids are overwhelmed. They're just exhausted. And it's like, I have to take all the AP classes and I have to be in all the clubs and I have to be in a sport. And then I have to try to do some community service. And it seems like it's really a recipe for exhaustion. And I see that in a lot of our students, sleep deprivation and anxiety. Exactly. So, what do you think that it's okay to give up? What would you advise students to say, you know, you can let up on some of these things?
1: So it all comes back to your values. And so when my students ask me, Julie, I have this great opportunity where I can be the vice president of this physics club. And I'll say, oh, that's great. So how does that align with your academic interest and your values? And they'll like, "Mm, I don't know, I'm not sure. And so- What is your value? In other words, what is important to you? So there's a difference between you putting yourself out there and challenging yourself because it aligns with your values and your academic interest and doing something, even though it has nothing to do with you, because you have to impress someone else. That's a big difference.
0: One of the things that I've noticed when I listen to some of your audios on YouTube is that you talk a lot about self-knowledge, that it seems like one of the key elements for a student to prepare for a college application is to think about who you are, what do you love, what are you good at? And that can be a really confusing question for students the first time you ask them, what do you love or what are you good at?
1: I think the word passion is, you know, obviously we help students with their passion projects, but I think the word passion could be at the same time very overwhelming. It always starts with an interest. So if I were to ask a student, hey, what are you interested in right now, academically or personally? they could always give me an answer. So with that interest, you need to put action. If you put action into that interest, it'll grow and evolve into another interest. And then eventually it'll be something that you're very excited about, which then we call it passion.
0: And your journey to understanding this whole process was rooted in your own childhood as an immigrant, the child of immigrants who didn't speak English. Tell us what you were like as a student, as you were trying to get yourself ready for college as a, as a middle school and early high school student.
1: I immigrated to the United States in second grade with my family, and it was really for that American dream, better education, better opportunities. And so I saw my parents sacrifice a lot for my education, working night nice shifts. So as a young girl, I was like, hmm, I want to make them really proud. And so when I you know, started my high school journey, I had no self-identification as to who I was. Because I was so focused on, okay, these are all the things I need to do. I need to volunteer. I need to join five clubs. I need to do well in school. I don't care about what my needs are. Let me just go ahead and do what society is telling me is good enough. And so I eventually burnt out. I couldn't go to school to take my finals for my junior year. And I was crying and I was like, my life is over. (laughs) And a lot of high school students go through that. And so I had to make a brave decision to drop the things that I wasn't excited about. And I was like, wow, there are so many things that I'm not excited about, but I'm doing. And so I focused on quality over quantity. I did two to three extracurriculars and I created a passion project. And my passion was more in the education area. So I was doing a lot of volunteer work there. Uh, I reached out to professors at USC to connect with them to learn more about their work. So it was just really about shedding all of my limiting beliefs and who I was not being and redirecting my life to what's important to me and how can I live a life that is true to who I am.
0: That's a really interesting core message because I think so many kids are doing so many things because they think they're supposed to do them. And it's very difficult to watch because I think this is your childhood. This is your youth. This is the time when you get to grow. And to give that away at the altar of, I think somebody else wants this, is sad in itself, but it's extra sad if you're giving it away and that's not even the thing that colleges value, that you're actually doing something you don't want to do and it's not even helping you in the way that you think it's helping you. It's the classic lose-lose.
1: Yes, you lose both.
0: Tell me about when your students start to identify what they love, what they're excited about. Give us some examples of what a passion project might look like because this is kind of the core of of your strategy for helping students get into selective colleges is to identify their passion and develop a passion project that will speak to who they are.
1: Yeah. So one of my students, she wanted to create a science camp for elementary school students. And then right when we came up with that idea, COVID-19 pandemic hit. And so we had to figure out a creative way, and if, but but not only creative, but my mission for my students is let's actually make a difference. Like if we're going to do something, please, let's not do this for colleges, but let's really try to make a difference or an impact. And so what she realized, and I had her do some research about what's wrong with the science education in this country and, you know, be more specific about this project of hers. And what she figured out was that When students get into fourth and fifth grade, there's less science experiments in school because there's no time. It's just more textbook, watch videos, take notes, take the test. And so what she started was a YouTube channel demonstrating science experiments for fourth and fifth graders. And using that, we actually pitched this idea to the NBC4 News and said, hey, we want a lot of students to take advantage of this. And she got featured. The cameraman and everyone came to her house and they filmed her making these YouTube videos. And the big difference is this. It wasn't about her. It's not about this is going to get me into my dream college. It was about the kids. So when you focus more on the people you help and less on you, that's when we know it's a passion project.
0: This is really interesting. I had a friend recently had his... His son did not get into his top choice college. And he was really disappointed, obviously, when he got the notification. And one of the first things he said is, All the work I've done is for nothing. And it struck me really hard because essentially what he was saying is, The only reason I was doing all the things I was doing was to get in. And if I didn't get in, then there was no point in it.
1: Maybe he didn't get in because do you see his thought pattern? His thought pattern was, I'm just doing this for college. So if you're just doing this for college, college is not stupid. They pick up on things in the essays and interviews and recommendation letters. So as, as soon as you make that shift of I'm doing this for myself and getting into my dream college is a byproduct. It should not be your first reason why you do any of
0: this. So basically you're saying the best thing you can do to try to get into college is don't focus on trying to get into college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the focus of what do you think they want from me that actually forces you away from yourself. And that's the authenticity that colleges are actually looking for.
1: And that's life rule.
0: Right. And I compare that to, say, spending your time studying for the SAT versus spending your time developing this science experiment YouTube channel. The one sort of exists only in the college admissions world, but the other one exists in the world beyond. And it it reflects who you are, not what the institution is asking of you.
1: Yeah. And a lot of my students continue their passion project in college. And they make it into a club at the college. They'll use it as an internship portfolio. And they'll just continue on. It's like a part of who they are now.
0: As students are beginning to develop their passion project, I would assume a lot of kids come in saying, I don't really know what I'm about. I don't really know what I love. That must be a tough process to tease that out for some kids.
1: That's kind of where my coaching comes in. And so instead of saying, this is what your passion should be because that's a very ambiguous term we only focus on a formula so number one what is your academic interest number two what is your personal interest number three what is your strength personality and values
0: yeah i think it's probably a challenge for a lot of kids because the curriculum in school has become so standardized yeah and so i worry that students may not get a chance to really discover who they are or what they love as a result of the standards movement do you see that in your students
1: yeah, there's usually not a lot of opportunities to explore your interest in school, unfortunately. So maybe we need to change the education system.
0: <laughs> we're, we're working on it over here at Experience Matters, Julie. We're working that's, on it. That's
1: your job, right? But yeah, I mean, there are thankfully, though, there are a lot of external resources outside of school that students could take advantage of. There are resources like EDX and Coursera, where students could take college classes that have very specific topics. You could do shadowing work. One of the things I love to have my students do is to reach out to professors and shadow them, participate in their work, get a good idea of what they do over there. Um, You could also interview people. And YouTube is great now because if you want to take a look at what it's like to be a dentist, you just Google it, a dentist in a day or whatever, and you can look at you know, what their day consists of. And so thankfully, I think there's a lot of resources outside of school now.
0: You're working with students from so many different schools across the country and, and across the world. Have you run into students that you've seen, their schools are doing some great things that are getting them started along this way? Have you seen examples of school-based initiatives that have helped students start to figure out who they are or get them involved in some of these kinds of projects as a starter?
1: Not so much, unfortunately, especially regarding helping students find who they are. I've never really seen that, I don't think. But one thing that I do see is when students get to participate in capstone projects, or research projects, or any project-based class that the school will allow students to take. From those things, I see a lot of students start to experiment with like, oh, this is what I'm interested in. And so my project is going to be about A, B, and C. And so I'm starting to see a lot more project-based offers at the school.
0: So that's interesting. As schools offer more project-based learning, students have more chance to sort of develop their particular talents and actually maybe have more choice about what they're learning, where they can start to zero in on their interests more deeply. Yes. One of the things that you've talked a lot about is connecting with other people. So whether it's connecting with a professor that you could do research with, or connecting with experts in the community in the in the field that you work on, or connecting with news stations. And I wonder how important this is in terms of students' development personally, as well as in terms of their application to college.
1: Personally, it's so important because you are now reaching out to someone who is older than you and Someone who is probably an expert, right? And so you are facing this fear of uncertainty. And I love doing that. I had a student where he sent 300 emails to professors and then no one wanted to have him under his research project. So this student was like, okay, Julie, like I'm going to stop here. Like no one wants me. Do they even like me? And so I was like, yeah, you can stop here or we can send 50 more. And what if one of them says yes to you? So one value or benefit you get from reaching out to people is grit, never giving up. And that is something that I didn't learn until I became an entrepreneur. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if someone taught me how to, well, not taught me, but what if someone coached me to be in these situations? I would have just networked with everyone and every anyone so I could learn more about their work. So it's really important. And and it's scary. And so that's why I provide the action steps to my students, you know, how to write the email, how to present yourself and things like that, so that they feel a little bit more comfortable reaching out to these adults.
0: That's unbelievable that you send 300 emails to professors, but you find one professor that says, sure, you can come do some research with me. That professor who writes your letter of recommendation, because you've done great work with them, has to stand out in a college application because it seems like most students are having their teachers write letters of recommendation. And as someone who taught for 30 years and wrote hundreds and hundreds of letters of recommendation, colleges probably see the same teachers sending the same letters over and over again. And one of the ways that you could stand out is by doing work outside of school with people who, I mean, this seems like it would be a difference maker.
1: Totally. That is our, our strategy is to build a relationship with professor and have the professor support your application.
0: And it could be, even beyond a professor, it could be somebody in an area of career interest. Maybe you, you set up an internship or you set up a program working with families in your community, and it could be one of your clients or one of the, the people who value your services, writing about the impact you had on their child or something. And it seems like that letter would stand out from a teacher saying this was a really good student. Absolutely. What do your students tend to say about their experience with you compared to their experience in school? How does the the work that they do with you differ from what they're doing in their school classes?
1: I think they feel refreshed that there's another way to navigate life as an adolescent, as a teenager, going through a rocky few years of high school and college admissions. So a lot of my students tell me, I never thought about this situation in this particular way. Or no one told me that this was possible for me. So I think they feel like this is refreshing and a little hopeful as well.
0: I wonder how much of the refreshing is a product of the fact that in school, everybody's trying to learn the same thing. So they're conforming to a system as opposed to when they're working with you, the learning is about who they are. It's actually not standardized, but it's actually customized.
1: Yeah, and they're growing at the same time because I'm not going to tell you what to do. (laughs) I'm going to help you figure out what you need to do and then you stay in integrity with your words and your actions.
0: This is a difficult question because I think what you're proposing students do is time-consuming, you know, building something or developing something and so many kids are so busy and they can drop a little something but they can't drop everything. What is your position on how many AP or advanced courses a student should take? Should a student just max out what they can? Or is it like if you max out on those, then you don't have time to do the other things that may be really valuable and you need to create space for that?
1: Unfortunately, college admissions want to see a lot of APs. Personally, I wouldn't recommend that, but that's what they want to see, especially with the Ivy Leagues and the competitive colleges. And so what I tell my students is, let's try to take as many AP classes as possible. However, if a particular class is known to be very difficult or very time consuming, or if the class doesn't really align with your academic interest, then we drop one or two. But one thing that I tell my students is Monday through Thursday is your school GPA And then Friday and Saturday, you can use one of those dates to work on your passion project or network with professors. And when I share this, they're like, oh, that's such a sigh of relief because I cannot imagine integrating passion project during my weekday schedule.
0: We think about these highly competitive colleges and and you're, you know, you're talking about some of these colleges are taking one out of 20 applicants and, you know, still somewhat competitive ones are taking one out of five applicants. Talk about what it looks like. What's an admissions officer seeing when they look at the standard applicant versus an applicant who's really invested in a passion project?
1: We have to understand that these admission officers are reading thousands of applications in like one seating or one week. So when they keep seeing the same thing and it gets boring, like these are not like computers reading your application. These are humans. So when you add a passion project or that you've networked with a professor, in a way that just feels so real it will instantly wake them up and so you have to be you and you have to be human and that's what kind of really wakes them up and it's like wow i really like this student they have to like you you know <laughs> yeah
0: it seems like they probably see a lot of the same thing mm-hmm. you know 4.2 33 32 played soccer and was on the school newspaper 34, school play, baseball team. Yeah. And so it seems like there would be a lot of repetition in what they're looking at. And if you lay down 10 applications and you're only picking one of them, a lot of them are going to look the same. And so the question is, what makes yours different? What makes you stand out? And I, I suppose that's probably at the heart of all of this is who are you and how does that show up in a big way on your application?
1: And I mean, that's not to say like... If you do traditional activities, you can get in and stand out in the process, but only if if you address the why. College admission officers always say this in their interviews, please tell us your why. If you did something, why? Because oftentimes we're so caught up in the, here's all the things that I did and here's what I can do, you know, that you lose your sight of why you did it and why this is important to you.
0: One of the things I've heard you say, the most important thing colleges look for, the single thing they care about most, is what?
1: Is your character and your values. I mean, GPA is important, don't get me wrong. But if they come down to two applicants that are very similar, if they can identify the student's character and values, that's the person who's going to get in.
0: And the challenge is how do you make that show up in a college application?
1: Passion project. Passion evidence. project. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's the passion project is not always butterflies. There's ups and downs. Maybe your website crashes or someone rejected you or someone hated on something that you did. Great. Please experience more of that because that's going to go right into your essay.
0: I've heard you talk about the importance of intellectual curiosity. Tell me about what that looks like on a college application or why college admissions officers are so curious to see that.
1: Intellectual curiosity, it should be the driver for why you want to go to the school. They want students who are asking questions instead of doing rote memorization and just spitting things back out. And the best way to showcase your intellectual curiosity is, again, to network with people and professors or intern opportunities and experience it. Get your hands dirty. You can't just feel like this is what I'm intellectually curious about and like pray (laughs) or meditate on it. You have to show that you are really intellectually curious about a topic.
0: And I think this is the whole point of this podcast is the fact that experience does matter. And that's where you grow. That's where you learn. One of the things I think about with, when you describe these passion projects, reaching out, connecting with other people, developing something on your own, building a network of people in the community, those are skills you'll use when you get to college. Oh, my God. I mean, gosh. a kid who's done that goes to college and actually is about a way more interesting and has a way deeper college experience because of it.
1: You use it for life when you're about to get a job. Yeah, you want to send a you know email to the HR department, or you want to send up a follow up email. How do people get jobs these days? Networking more than anything. So how you build your circle, your network, can change your life.
0: That's really important. I think if you imagine doing a passion project when you're younger, in high school, and learning how to do that, and then you get to college, and so you seek out professors and you connect and you do connect with them for research projects, or you connect with community organizations while you're in college, you're just developing this way of being in the world that just changes everything for you. Your whole college experience is different, and the way you enter into the world is totally different. Of course. You know, one of the things that I personally feel is that I don't think it's necessary for everyone to go to an elite college. Highly selective colleges have become really important for some people, and I think that they can provide certain opportunities. But Kids can get a great education at so many different places, at so many different colleges. And I wonder about the value of doing a passion project, even if it's not because you want to get into an elite college. Maybe you want to stay close to home or maybe you want to go to a state college because you like the big school experience. Is there still value in doing the passion project, even if you're not trying to advance yourself into a place that's highly selective or that you might not get into without it?
1: Of course. Do it for yourself. Do it for your growth and your journey and for your life. You know, one day what I envision is what if students just worked on their passion project without going to school? (laughs) This is very extreme. But I think of my business as a passion project. And I don't use any knowledge that I learned in college. Sadly, my tuition money is like crying right now. And I had to learn everything like, okay, if I have to have a business, what do I need to do? I need to set up a website. I need to reach out to lawyers. I need to do marketing. I have to do YouTube. And so I started learning and growing while building this business. And this is my passion project. So what I'm saying here is if you focus on your passion and your interests and what really lights you up in this world, that could translate into so much more, even if that ultimate goal is not college.
0: And this is where I think I struggle because I think, as an educator, it seems to me that schools should be thinking about how to make this part of a kid's experience. I know we do have some capstone projects, and those tend to be like one semester or a small piece of what kids do. But I think the challenge for educators, as I listen to you and I understand the value of a passion project, is to think, how do we build that self-knowledge into schools? How do we build personal exploration into schools? How do we build creating social networks and developing the ability to connect with people in the outside world into schools. I'm not trying to put you out of business. I'm just saying we should be doing more of that ourselves as opposed to we'll let the kids who can find Julie Kim consulting get that, but nobody else.
1: Exactly. And maybe that is a reason why I had to create this because it was not offered anywhere else. So I would love to create a curriculum for high schools nationwide where They could take our framework and use it. I wish that we could do more of this in our traditional school setting.
0: Well, maybe that's the challenge that lies before us, Julie. Maybe that's our passion project we need to work on together.
1: Yes, that sounds really exciting.
0: What advice would you give to kids about how they should live their high school experience and where the college admissions thing should sit in their consciousness?
1: Where you go to college is not who you become. You're not defined by an Ivy League label. You're not defined by where you go at all. But our society tells us that, oh, if I go to Harvard, then I'm smart. So look internally first before you look at the outside world and what they have to say. What is important to you? What would make you really happy? And start your inner work. So we want to live a life that's less dependent on the external
0: world. I really appreciate that. And I think I would love for more students to hear that message and focus on themselves and not be doing something for the outside world. And I'd also love for more schools to hear that message and think about how do we create opportunities for kids to really know themselves and do work that's meaningful for them. And I think it can be a win-win because it's both better for kids and also more useful for their future, whether it's college admissions and or how they experience life in college and beyond. So you've given us a lot to think about, and I I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being on the program today.
1: Thank you so much, Steve.
0: Experience Matters is recorded in Bexley, Ohio, in the shadow of downtown Columbus. Our killer theme music was written and performed by Isaac Rowe, a Bexley High School graduate. If you'd like to explore my blog posts, interview appearances, creative work, or send me an email, head to my website at stephentshapiro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Stephen T. Shapiro. Be sure to follow Experience Matters on your favorite podcast app so you'll get notifications when new episodes drop. I'll leave you with a secret to life that I've shared with thousands of students and, of course, with my own children. There is no such thing as an interesting person. There are just people who do interesting things. You can be one of them if you seek out and say yes to new experiences.